today we start a new series and we are calling it Bold Love. Bold Love. You know, Jesus commands that his disciples are to follow him. And if you follow Jesus, he will lead you eventually to a hill and an old rugged cross. And so for the next six weeks, as we're leading up to Easter, we are going to go with journey, we're going to go with Jesus on his journey to the cross. You know, the journey to the cross, it, it includes times of repentance. It includes times of confrontation. It includes humility. And it ends on the best day and the worst day of history. That's Good Friday. But the weeping will give way to joy on Easter weekend. And, uh, but today, we're going to start our journey of bold love, a journey to a cross. And we start with the temptation narrative in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Let's read it. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The timing, I think, of this temptation is interesting. Jesus, I'm sure, had been tempted before, right? Maybe he was tempted at some point to lie to his mom and dad, or maybe he was tempted at some point in his life to cheat or steal. And I'm sure that there were times of testing in his life, but this moment in Jesus' life is possibly the most, outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, the most intense season of temptation he ever had. Indeed, Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. Now, here's the thing about me. I don't need Satan to tempt me. I do quite well in the temptation department all by myself. I don't need Satan to tempt me. Imagine Satan himself tempting you. But Jesus, why is it so intense? Why is he all of a sudden getting tempted by Satan? And it's because at Jesus' baptism, this is his public appearance. This is when he is actually accepting the call to ministry, the call of being Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. It was an explosive, powerful moment. He comes up out of the waters of baptism. The Spirit falls on him. God the Father speaks over him. And it was just an amazing moment. And then right after this moment, he faces Satan in the wilderness. I believe the moment of temptation was so intense and the warfare with Satan was so intense, not because Jesus was doing something wrong, but because he was actually headed in the right direction. He'd been in obscurity for 30 years of his life. Nobody really knew who he was. But now, now he has showed up on the enemy's radar. The enemy has been alerted to the Messiah. And this is what we need to realize as Christians. Often our biggest moments, often when God moves powerfully in our life, often when God moves and there's a breakthrough in our life, it is often followed by attacks from the enemy. So we have to be sober-minded. Often after a breakthrough, we want to sit back and relax and say, oh man, hasn't God done great things? But actually, that's, these are the moments when we need to be on guard because our enemy 
The devil is like a roaring lion, and he's lurking and seeking whom he may devour. I like what Pastor Chris Hodges says. He says, if there's a lion in your backyard, you better act like it. Meaning, you have got to put on the armor of God every day and not be ignorant to the schemes of the enemy, but you are to be sober-minded and alert. Peter told his church in 1 Peter 4.12, he said, don't be surprised. Don't get caught off guard. Don't be surprised by this thing you're walking through, by this trial that you are under. Listen, if Jesus faced temptations, we will face temptations. If Jesus had to battle, we will have to battle too. But Jesus teaches us through his examples, through his example, the weapons that we have at our disposal when we come into seasons, not just moments of temptation, but seasons of temptations. Yeah, there can be moments throughout your day where it's like, man, you're tempted to do things. But there are seasons, I believe, where the devil is tempting you. He's throwing things in front of you. He's trying to trap you. And we have to be sober-minded, and we need to use the tools that Jesus used in his temptation. So I see three things to help us overcome seasons of wilderness and temptation. Jesus overcame by the Spirit. He overcame by the voice and he overcame by the word of God. The spirit, the voice, and the word of God. Number one, the spirit. The spirit. You know, it says that the heaven, Jesus is baptized, it says that the heavens are torn open, and the spirit descends on him. That word tear would have gotten the attention of the readers of Mark, because it's, 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 it's kind of a harsh word. It's not like just open. It's like like a rip. The heavens were literally ripped open and a tear happened. And we'll come back to that word in a moment. But if you follow the narrative of the scriptures, this is what you see, that actually God is always seeking to come down or God is always seeking to be with his people. It is God's desire, not for heaven, just to be a place that you go when you die, but it's God's desire for heaven to be right here among us. And in the scripture, there was, uh, in the scriptures, the Lord told the people of Israel in their history, he, he told them, I want you to build something for me. I want you to build a tabernacle, a tabernacle, Exodus. We've talked about it before. Build me a tabernacle, a place where I can come and dwell in your midst. Essentially, the, the tabernacle was a traveling tent, right? It could be moved and it went uh, and, and, and Israel would pick it up and they would, when they would move on their journeys throughout the wilderness, they would take it with them and God dwelled in their midst in the tabernacle. But it wasn't just some random tent. It wasn't just some random structure that they would build up. But actually, and I even read it in my readings this morning in Exodus 40, there was a supernatural manifestation of God's presence that happened at the tabernacle. The Bible says that a pillar of cloud by day and a, it would and then turn into a pillar of fire by night rested on the tabernacle. And the pillar, listen, it was the visible presence of God amongst his people. The Lord himself was in the midst of the pillar. And it was a pillar of cloud by day and a, pill, a pillar of fire by night. But that cloud would lead God's people for 40 years through the wilderness it was a cloud by day. Why? Because it would shelter them from the heat of the desert. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. By day, it shelters them from the heat. And by night, it keeps them warm uh, when, when the cool nights of the desert 
what happened. The desert is a place of extreme, hot and extreme cold, but God's presence was the thing that sustained them. The the spirit of God, the, the very glory of God was the thing that sustained them in the wilderness for those 40 years. Now, look, as Jesus is about to get sent into the wilderness, what happens to him? The spirit comes down and rests upon him, just like it did on the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And you know what? It's the same for us. It is the very Spirit of God, the presence of God. The Holy Spirit must lead us, guide us, shelter us, protect us. You see, it was the cloud that led the children of Israel. This is so, this is so key. The cloud did not follow the children of Israel. The children of Israel followed the cloud. That's very important in our lives. If the cloud got up and moved and they would start packing up all their stuff and they would follow the cloud wherever and then it would rest and then they would set their stuff there and they would camp out there for a while. But But the children of Israel didn't just pack up all their stuff and move without the cloud moving first. If they would have packed up all their stuff and moved the cloud would the cloud would still be where it was and then they would be out from underneath the cloud. They would be out from underneath the protection. And the the spirit of God it was their covering, their protection, their refuge. What does that mean? They couldn't just go wherever they wanted to whenever they wanted to. Why? Because if they would have done that, if they would have, by their own doings, by their own way, say, you know, we don't like this spot anymore. We're not happy here anymore. We're going to get up and move to this spot over here. If the cloud didn't move, then they would be out of protection. They would be out of covering. They would not have the Spirit with them wherever they went. And look, it's so interesting that Jesus, you could, if you go back and read Mark again, the Spirit falls on Jesus, but then it's the Spirit that leads Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit is the one that casts Jesus out into the wilderness. Listen, wherever the Spirit goes, that's where you gotta go, even if it leads you into a wilderness, even if it leads you into hard times. You know, Corey Tim Boom, uh, if, you, if you've read her story, she was uh, in Dutch Holland as a, as a girl, and her family was risking their life during Nazi occupation during World War II. And Corey Tim Boom had even visions from the Lord. She talks about two times where she saw an ominous vision from the Lord and she kind of knew within her heart that she was heading into hard days. She, the Holy Spirit was kind of letting her know beforehand, Corey, I'm leading you, but where I'm leading you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough for your family. And I, I love what Corey Tim Boom says. She says this, the safest place to be is in the will of God. That is so good. The safest place to be is in the will of God. The safest place is not the most comfortable place. The safest place is not the place necessarily you would choose for yourself. The safest place to be is in the shelter of the Most High. It's underneath the cloud. It's where the Spirit leads. This is the safest place to be. Even if the place He leads you is the wilderness, that is where you want to be because He's there with you and He's going to get you through it if He brought you to it. So listen, where's the Spirit leading you today? You have to move when the cloud moves, but you can't just run out on your own and do your own thing either. You can't just make stuff happen in your own strength, but you have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Spirit wants to go with us in our journey. The Spirit 
like the tabernacle. We, we, when, we, when we leave church today, the Spirit is with us. He abides in us. He accompanies us on our journey. We are a dwelling place for God. I like to say it like this. The dove is looking for a place to land. The dove is looking for a place to land. I want to show you a picture. And, uh, you know, this is so interesting. During our 21 days of prayer, uh, we have it in the youth building. And that's a special building. Like, I, like we always, that's my favorite place to pray. It's the oldest building on our campus. The lady who built it was a healing evangelist. Uh, apparently, she had a vision of Jesus in that building. I mean, I love the youth building. It's old. Well, we were praying, 6 a.m. prayer, and someone said, hey, have you noticed the doves in the window? And I said, what? What doves? And I go over, and I look, and there is the, you can see it in the window. There is an exact imprint of a dove, uh, or, or there's three. There's three imprints of a dove, and it's it's amazing. You can see it right there. Now, let's, I'm a I'm a bit of a mystic, right? I took that as a sign. I was like, hey, the dove is here. The dove is trying to land. Uh, you know, I, I realize that doves have their body covered in dust and they'll hit a window and leave their imprint. But still, to me, I was like, that's a sign. The dove is trying to get in. The dove is looking for a place to land. But a dove needs an inhabitable resting place. Read the scriptures and you will see that Israel, although they were at one time a resting place for God, eventually what you'll see is that Israel became a place where God could no longer land. They became a place where the dove could no longer stay. God dwelled among them, and after many years, after many years, after warnings from prophets, the people would not listen. God was fed up with their dishonor, with their disobedience, their lack of hunger for him. And God, the dove, the cloud, removes himself. He pulls away from Israel. Here's the truth. God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. The dove will land where someone has made a place for the dove to land. And eventually, if you don't want God, he's long-suffering He'll bring warnings, but if you don't heed those warnings, eventually he'll pull away. He'll cease residence. And what happens when God pulls away from Israel? Devastation. Their temple is destroyed. Their nation is destroyed. Invaders come and have free reign because God's no longer there. And there's a prophet named Isaiah. After the years of devastation and exile, here comes the prophet Isaiah, and he gets to remembering the days. He gets to thinking about the days when the dove, when the cloud was over the people of Israel. He remembered the blessing. He remembers how God brought them out, how God routed their enemies. And he says, God, would you do that again? And he prays this prayer, Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. You know, God is looking for a people who will contend like Isaiah contended. He's looking for some hungry people who will say to God, you've done it before, will you do it again? God, we're desperate for you. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a life where the dove can land. I want my life and my home and my church to be an inhabitable and hospitable place for the dove to land. 
And in Mark's gospel, the dove has found a person that it can land on. It took 750 years since Isaiah praised that prayer, rip open the heavens and come down. And here is Jesus. God comes in an unexpected way. He comes and lives amongst his people. The eternal word would become flesh. And John says, tabernacled among us. And when Jesus comes out of the waters, what happens? The heavens are ripped open, just like Isaiah asked God for. Rip open the heavens. The heavens are ripped open, and the Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. And when Jesus dies and he breathes out his Spirit at the end of the gospel, it says that the veil in the temple, the same word, is ripped. It's ripped And the glory comes out of that holy of holies. And the glory is now accessible to all people who will call on the name of the Lord. The dove comes and rests on Jesus. And now the dove can come and rest on us because we're in Christ. We won't make it in the wilderness without the dove. We need the dove. Jesus had the spirit leading him through the wilderness. The next thing Jesus had is he had the voice from heaven. Jesus not only had the dove, he was not only empowered by the Spirit, but he also heard the voice of his heavenly Father. And the voice of his heavenly Father said three things to them. And these are three things all of us need to hear. You know, last Saturday we had a marriage conference. And one thing that stuck out to me from our guest speaker was he actually, it it was a parenting comment. And he made a a comment about psychology. And I haven't vetted this, but it sounded good. So I'm just going to believe it's true. But he said the loudest voice that your kids will hear for the first 30 years of their life will be the voice of mom and dad, the voice of their parents. Even when they're no longer in your presence, even when you're no longer around them, the voice that they hear in their head is the voice of their parents. And man, that hit me. I wondered in myself, man, is the voice my kids are hearing? Am I putting confidence in them? Am I just yelling at them all the time for the things they're doing wrong? Or am I affirming what they're doing right? You know, it's so interesting to me that we see this in the life of Jesus. Before he goes into possibly the hardest moment, the hardest season of his life outside of the cross, he hears the voice of his father. And I think it's so important because soon he's in the wilderness. Soon he's face to face with the devil. And you know what? The devil's in his ear. The devil's hurling assaults at his character. The devil is attacking his identity. How did Jesus make it through it? I believe one reason he made it through it is because the voice of his father was ringing louder in his ear than the voice of the enemy. I love how Pastor Chris Hodges, he breaks this down. And he says, Jesus receives from his father what all of us need. If Jesus needed it, I need it. We need it. And and if you don't get this from God, if you don't get it from the father, you're going to start looking for it in the wrong place. You're going to start looking for it from the wrong people. You need it so bad, you ache for it, and you'll get it anywhere you can get it. That's why we must get this from the father. You know, the Bible, there's only two conversations where the Father is talking to Jesus and the scriptures record it. It's here at baptism and it's at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Father says the same thing in both places over Jesus. He says, you're my son, my beloved, and I'm pleased with you. You are my son, the beloved, and I'm pleased with you. Those three things represent three things all of us need. You are my son. What is that? That's acceptance. 
Everyone needs acceptance. Number two, you're the beloved. What is that? That's affection. We all need affection. Number three, I'm pleased with you. That's affirmation. Acceptance, affection, affirmation. I don't care who you are. You need all three of those things. And you're actually starving for it. Just open up any social media platform. I don't care if it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I don't care which one it is. You will see people starving and crying out for those three things. Somebody affirm me. Somebody accept me. Somebody love me. We're starving for it. We need acceptance. What is that? That's when, G, when, when the father says to Jesus, you're my son, what's he saying? He's saying, you belong to me. You are mine. You're on my team. We all need family. We all need the, to be on a team, something bigger than us. Affection. You're my beloved. What's, what's the father saying? He's saying, you matter to me. He's saying, I cherish you. He's saying, you're important to me. We all need to know that we are cherished and loved. And then affirmation. Man, I'm pleased with you. What is that? That's an attaboy. We all need an attaboy. The father is saying to the son, you make me so proud. You make me so happy. I am beaming with joy over you. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know that this is why we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, this is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Romans tells us in Romans 5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given to us. The Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our heart. It lets us know that, know that we're beloved of the Father. Romans 8, 15 says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons in whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is what makes us and helps us to recognize that what God says of Jesus, He says of us today, we are not slaves, we are not servants, but we're children of God. We're accepted into the family of God. That the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, and we know God loves us, and we're affirmed that he is saying that he looks at us and he sees that we're covered in the blood, that we're covered by the blood of Jesus and that we are the righteousness of Christ and he affirms us. Now listen, I'm not giving, a, I'm not giving you a pep talk today and I'm not giving you a self-esteem talk. We need more than a pep talk. We need more than a self-esteem talk. What we need is to hear the gospel because the gospel says this. This is Tim Keller. This is his quote. This is what he'll be remembered probably for uh, ages to come, his famous quote, he says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. What's Tim Keller saying? I'm not here to tell you how great you are. I'm not here today to tell you how loved and how great you're doing. That's just a self-esteem talk. What I'm here to tell you today is that actually by your own self, you're not acceptable. By your own efforts, you're not lovable. By your own achievements and accomplishments compared to who God is, you've actually not done anything worthy of being affirmed. You say, thanks, Chad, that makes me feel great. <laughs> I want to hear what the Father has to say over me. Listen, this is the gospel. If you are not in Christ, if you are not under the blood of Jesus, 
then all those things that you need, acceptance, affection, affirmation, you're gonna run and try to get it from other places. You're gonna try to get it from your own strength. But if you are in Christ today, you need to hear from the Holy Spirit that you're God's child, that you are the beloved, and that he is pleased with you. In our own strength, there is nothing good about us, but we are only good by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news today. The good news is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new, behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you're accepted and welcomed in. You're a son or a daughter. You can come boldly into his presence. You're the apple of his eye. He not only loves you, he likes you. He actually wants to be with you. You're affirmed in Christ today. What is Christ's is now yours. You're an heir to the kingdom of heaven, a brother or sister in Christ. Jesus is your elder brother if you're in Christ. So Jesus had the spirit. Jesus had the affirmation and acceptance and affection from his father. And here's the last thing. Jesus had the word of God. Mark tells us that in the wilderness, Jesus was not alone. He says that the angels served him. The angels sustained him. This is a great reminder today. Psalm 91 declares the promise that those who fear the Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around them. Psalm 91 promises that God commands his angels concerning us, that Jesus was not alone in his wilderness and temptation, and neither are we. It says the angels served him. It's a very interesting statement. The nature of their service is not really spelled out, but if you look at that word in the Greek and how it's often used, diakoneo, it often refers to domestic provision or food. He was served by the angels. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, very interesting. There are two prophets who have wilderness experiences, and both of them are brought food by angels. First Kings, Elijah's in a bad way. He's depressed. He wants to die. He says, I'm done. I'm done with this ministry you've given me. I'm out. I just want to die. Take me on, Lord. And the Lord says, Elijah, just go take a nap. Shut up. Shut up, Elijah. Go take a nap. Go take a rest. He takes a nap. And it says he wakes up that an angel wakes him up from his nap. And he looks over and on the rock next to his head, the angel has baked him a cake. That's pretty cool. And left him a jar of water. And those scriptures tell us that Elijah went on a wilderness journey. He eats the cake and drinks the water and he goes on a journey. And the strength from that angel food cake gave him 40 days worth of strength to get through the wilderness season that he ate something from a heavenly being that gave him strength for 40 days. Then we have the story of Moses in the wilderness with the children of Israel. For 40 years, God sends bread from heaven every day for them to eat while they're in the wilderness. And if you look at Psalm 78, 25, look how it describes the bread. Man ate the bread of angels, and he sent food in abundance. Here's what we know about the angel's food. It's supernatural, okay? This isn't natural food. It's supernatural food. And the bread is connected to the word of God. God's word is bread. If it's, it's manna from heaven that sustains our spirits 
and wilderness season. In fact, Jesus said it while in the wilderness. Man does not live by physical bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you see, you have to flip over to Matthew to get the temptation narrative also there when the enemy comes to tempt Jesus. And you see how Jesus responds to the enemy. It's so interesting to me that when Jesus is fighting the devil, Jesus doesn't just come up with words out of his own head, although he could, he is the word of God. Jesus doesn't just come up with something new, but the way Jesus attacks the devil, when the devil comes at him with temptation, Jesus responds the same way every time. He says, it is written. Jesus combats the devil with the word of God. Three times it is written. Jesus defeated Satan with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, with the word spoken him by the Father, but he goes on the offensive with the word of God that has been planted in his heart and is on his mouth. When Jesus is, it's interesting, when Jesus goes in the wilderness, let's say Jesus took a scroll with him. Jesus took large scrolls with him out into the wilderness as he was being tempted. No, he didn't have a concordance and he didn't have Google to search. But when the devil came at him, Jesus recalled something. He pulled something out of the vault of his heart and it was the word of God delivered by the angels that he had stored up in his heart as a child. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. What do you have stored in your heart today? What, when, you're, when you're in a season where you're being tempted and tested and you're being squeezed, what do you have stored up in your heart? Do you have bitterness that comes out of you? What do you got? Do you have gossip stored up? Do you have pornography and sexual images stir, stored up in your heart? What's inside of you? Because it's important is because in moments of temptation, that's what's going to come out of you. That's how you, that's what you're going to try to combat whatever you're coming at against. You know what? This is why we have to sow to the Spirit. This is why we have to sow to the Word of God. Because if we will do that, we will not give in to the flesh. We have stored up God's Word in our heart. You know, I'm reading the classic book right now by Corey Tim Boom. I've already mentioned her once today. And so over the next few weeks, you'll probably hear a bunch of Corey Tim Boom quotes because that's what I'm reading. And often what I'm reading shows up in my messages. So one of the things that stood out to me about Corey, uh, really not just about her, but about her father, Corey Tim Boom's father was his dedication to the Word of God. Do you know every night, no matter what, even when the Nazis had occupied their town and were destroying their way of life every night at 8 p.m., they would close down their watch store that they ran in their home. They would get out the big Bible from the shelf and he would read one chapter aloud. The whole family would gather around. And Corey talks about how many nights as a young girl, she would hope it was a short chapter <laughs> or hope that even dad would forget that night, but he never failed to read the scriptures. He would get out that Bible and read it aloud. And you know what? I think it's so interesting when they came into a wilderness season, when they came into a time where evil Germany was knocking on their doors. There were pastors even who were giving in and not standing up. But the Tim Boom family had courage. They were bold in the face of temptation. They didn't play it safe. 
It cost everyone in her family their lives, really, but her, but they stood strong. And I can't help but think, how did they stand strong? I know that one of the ways they stood strong was their commitment to studying and reading the Word of God. It impacted their lives as a family. It was hidden in their hearts. You know, there's a story when Corey and her sister, Betsy, they're put into, they're brought to a new Nazi prison camp. And Corey wondered how they were going to make it in such awful conditions. She said that the room, the barrack that they were in was full of fleas and it was terrible. And she said, how are we going to make it in this awful condition? And her sister Betsy said, I know how we're going to make it. Remember that scripture we read last night or this morning? Remember it. It says we should give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice in all circumstances. And her sister Betsy said, that's how we're going to make it. That's what the Word of God says. So her sister starts thanking God for all the things in that circumstance. And one of the things she thanks God for, Betsy thanks thanks God for the fleas. And Corey thought, oh, my sister has lost her mind. How can we thank God for fleas? But amazingly, they were able to sneak a Bible into their barracks. And every night, the girls would read from the Bible, just like at home when Corey's dad would read to them. Every night, they would read. But Corey noticed that the guards never came to their barracks at night. The guards went around to every other barracks and checked on them, but they never came into hers. And it opened the door for Betsy and Corey to read the scriptures every night for all the women that were in their barracks. And they were sharing the word of God. Well, one day, Corey realized why the guards never come to her barracks. And you know why they didn't come? It was because of the fleas. (laughs) They didn't want to come and catch fleas, so they didn't mess with that barracks. And it opened up an opportunity for Corey and Betsy to share the word of God in a Nazi prison camp. And so you know what Corey started doing? She started thanking God for the fleas, (laughs) thanking God for the circumstance. What is that? That's when you're in a tough season. Come on, it can't get no more tougher than being in a Nazi prison camp. How did Corey Tim Boone make it out? How did she make it out? And she wasn't, uh, she wasn't so bitter and so mad at the world. How did she make it out? She made it out. One of the reasons why is because this word was hidden in her heart. And it kept her in the toughest season of her life. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through hard seasons. Jesus did. We will too. How are we going to make it? We're going to make it by staying in the will of God, by following the Spirit. Number two, we're going to make it by knowing every day we wake up, letting that Spirit tell us that we're loved, that we're accepted, we're affirmed in Christ. And number three, we're going to store up the Word of God in our heart. you got to start storing it up now. When the season of temptation comes, it's too late. you got to store it up now. So when the enemy comes in, you've got a vault to pull from. You can pull it out and use it. This is how we make it. We're on a journey to the cross. Jesus is headed to the cross, and we're headed there with him. Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we follow you on this journey to the cross. Lord, we have manifold temptations, many things that we're tempted by, and we need your help. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to follow you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, to be full of the Spirit, to have the affirmation of our Father, and to be full of the Word of God. 
We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you, and we will see you at 9 or 11 live, or of course, 10 o'clock here on Virtual Church. Have a great Sunday.